Hi, I'm Justin Rosso, and welcome to this episode of the Next Step Podcast, where we help you take a next step. Today's episode is our epiphany episode, so I'll be interviewing Dr. Jeff Gibbs, Professor Emeritus at Concordia Seminary and author of a three-volume commentary on the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew 2 is where we get the story of the wise men coming to see baby Jesus. After a brief intro, you'll hear me pray, and then Professor Gibbs will translate Matthew chapter 2 from the Greek New Testament. Then he and I will talk about the, the text and what it means for us today. Then you'll hear me read the devotion on page 108 of Light in the Darkness, a hymn journal for Advent and Christmas from Next Step Press. The hymn, What Child Is This?, is the focus of today's chapter in the hymn journal, and you'll get to hear Brooke Orozco and Brendan Norp play their rendition of that song. Then Jeff and I will talk more about these so-called wise men, the three gifts that they brought, and the star that brought them to Jerusalem first and then to Bethlehem to see Jesus. It's been a beautiful day here up in Michigan. It was uh, a little bit warmer yesterday. We got freezing rain, and on top of the freezing rain, we got snow. So all the trees are just covered in about an inch and a half of, of white, glistening snow. Well, wherever you are today and whatever the weather's like, however you're celebrating Epiphany or getting this new year going, welcome. I'm so glad you're here as we gather around God's Word and seek to take a small next step following Jesus. Jeff Gibbs joins us today on the Next Step Podcast. Jeff, welcome. Thank you, Justin. Good to talk to you. Uh, you're in St. Louis, Missouri today, but I understand you just got back from a trip. Yes, we uh, have family in the West, and so we, um, I think, took necessary and careful precautions and traveled to see some of our kids and grandkids and uh, just got back last night. Well, great way to celebrate Christmas. Merry Christmas to you and Merry Ninth Day of Christmas. Happy New yes. Year. Yes, indeed. And a happy almost epiphany. I know. Yeah. We have seen the star in its rising. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Good. Well, uh, thanks so much for joining us on the Next Up podcast today. It's been a year or two since I had you in Matthew class way back at the seminary. Yeah, yeah. Have, have really appreciated your now three-volume work on Matthew. Appreciate that very much, and thanks for being with us today. Yeah, I'm glad to help, and uh, yeah, I'm just glad to be here to talk about Matthew. Well, hey, before we get to that Matthew text uh, on page 107 of our hymn journal, why don't you, I open us with prayer, and, and then I'd love for you to read, read Matthew 2, 1 to 13. Let's pray. That sounds great. Come Holy Spirit and be with us today as you inspired Matthew to record these words. Would you please also inspire our hearts and that you might be present in our, in our relationship, in our conversation, in our dialogue. And according to your word of promise, Jesus, be present in, with, and under your word for us. Draw us closer to you today. Amen. Amen. Yeah, so uh, Matthew 2, 1 to 13, if it's all right, I'll just kind of bring out a few things uh, working directly from the Greek New Testament. So uh, starting to verse one. Uh, now, after Jesus had been born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, Magi from the east appeared in Jerusalem saying, where is the king of the Jews who has been born? For we saw his star in its rising and we have come to pay homage to him. Now, when he heard, King Herod was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And after gathering all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he began to inquire from them 
where will the Christ be born? And they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written through the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, by no means you are least among the rulers of Judah, for a ruling person will come forth out of you who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly, after calling the Magi, ascertained from them the time of the appearing star. And after sending them to Bethlehem, he said, go and search accurately about the child. And when you have found it, announce this to me in order that I also may come and pay homage to him. And they, when they heard the king, they journeyed and behold, a star which they had seen in its rising began to go ahead of them until it came and stood over where the child was. And when they, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with a really big joy. <laughs> and after coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and paid homage to him. And opening their treasures, they offered to him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And because they had been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed through another way into their own region. And after they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph, saying, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee into Egypt, and be there until I tell you. For Herod is about to seek the child in order to destroy him. Thanks. Thanks for reading that, and thanks for dealing that with that right, right from the Greek. I know this is a text you're familiar with and, and one you've dealt with many times before, but is there anything that kind of stuck out to you, something that jumped out at you this time through? Well, uh, there's so many questions that arise, um, but the thing that, <laughs> the thing that strikes me is uh, a common Christian truth, uh, and that is uh, man proposes and God disposes, right? <laughs> so that uh, we think we know what's going on or even when we think we don't know what's going on, we're not even aware of what we don't even know. And so you have all of the religious authorities in Jerusalem who are not even aware that something has happened. Yeah. You have the Magi, you know, to whom it's somehow been revealed that there's this new king, but they don't exactly know where he is. And apparently Herod had initially succeeded in tricking them because yeah. they were going to go back and tell him. Yeah. Right, but they have to be warned in a dream not to do that, and so you have you have these two beautiful layers of of human plans and human actions, even well-meaning sometimes, but you could say either underneath or above at all times is God's God's plan, you know, to send a Messiah, to send a Christ, uh, who will not just be for the Jews, but one part of the reason the Magi is there is that they're almost certainly Gentiles. Mm. Uh, and so they're the ones who come to pay homage to this king without even really realizing everything there is to know about him, mm. of course, either. So mm. It's just a beautiful contrast. Yeah, I, I can see that contrast really clearly here. And the God stuff is very clear from the human stuff. And the God stuff is reliable. You've got the, the prophetic word that's in this section, the prophetic yep. word that's very reliable. You've got these angels, these angelic messengers. They come and bring the word of the Lord, and they're directing traffic, so to speak. <laughs> right. uh, and then the human response is a bit mixed. You've got 
the people who actually should know better, the, the priests and scribes of the people uh, who, who know where the Christ is going to be born, but don't go looking for him. You've got Herod, who uh, I love the phrase, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. If there's one thing right. we know from kind of the first century history, if Herod's troubled, the whole Jerusalem is going to be troubled with him. He's a bad guy to have troubled. Uh, right. And then Mary and Joseph. I love the, the next verse. And Joseph rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod, uh, kind of according to the word of God. Right, right. Yeah, it, it is. Um, and really, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, we might think it was easy for Joseph to believe the angel. Mm. But we all know how hard it is uh, to believe God's word, hmm. even though we should find it easy, right? Yeah. So there is, in that sense, the miracle of human faith that, that Joseph really, you know, is uh, kind of an example for us, I suppose you could say. Uh, that if God tells you to do something, of course, it's hard to tell what that is often. Yeah. Uh, that you can trust him to do what he's asking you to do. So, yeah, a scary thing for Joseph and and yet clear. And yeah, I love that idea of uh, one of the ways you can see God at work in this text is in Joseph's response. That's a, a beautiful thought, too. Thanks for right. that. Right. Hey, I, I want to turn the page. I want to hear more about this text and, and some of the questions you raised, actually, and, and I've got a couple of my own. But if we turn sure. the page to page 108, I'd, I'd like to read this this devotion just the way it's written, and then we'll hear from Brooke and Brendan as, as they play this hymn, What Child Is This? And I'll circle back and talk about a couple of these words. So this is the devotion on page 108. It's called, So Bring Him Incense, Gold, and Myrrh. I can just imagine Joseph packing frantically for a midnight escape and pausing to wonder what in the world to do with those strange gifts. Unexpected foreigners brought gold, a royal and valuable gift worth enough to cover the expense of their sudden trip. Maybe Joseph would even have enough left over to buy his membership card at the local carpenters guild among the expats in Egypt. He had hoped to return to Nazareth, but incense. What was Joseph supposed to do with incense? Incense is heavy, and it belongs in the temple. Joseph knew the thick fragrance from worship when the prayers of God's people covered over the stink of their sin. Maybe he could take it to synagogue in Egypt for prayer. And then there was myrrh. Joseph had to pack it carefully in one of his tunics. If that vial breaks, Herod's bloodhounds would be able to smell them all the way to the border. But who gives a baby myrrh, an expensive funeral oil? Joseph hoped he'd die before this myrrh was used. I sometimes feel like Joseph, confused by the way things are turning out, doing the best I can in a life where... I don't exactly know where the money is going to come from or how I'm supposed to pray or which loved one I will bury next or who will be left to bury me. But then I remember what I do have, the presence of Jesus to whom these strange gifts were given. Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, God's beloved son, the one who once was dead, and now is alive forevermore. The same Jesus who has given gold by the Magi tells me I am his treasured possession. 
the same Jesus who received frankincense tenderly receives my prayers. The same Jesus who accepted the gift of myrrh holds my death and also my resurrection in his glorious hands. I have about as much of a clue as Joseph did, packing those unexpected gifts. Then again, Joseph had Jesus. I do, too. What child is this who lay to rest On Mary's lap is sleeping Whom angels greet with anthems sweet And shepherds watch are keeping This is Christ the Lord this is Christ your King, this is Christ who has come to redeem us. Why lies he in such mean estate, where ox and us are feeding, good Christian fear for sinners here the silent word is pleading nails shall pierce him through spear shall pierce him too
That was Brooke Orozco and Brendan Norp playing their rendition of the hymn, What Child Is This? So let's let's start with those gifts, Jeff. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I, I don't know that they're supposed to be allegorical or metaphorical or anything else, but what might a first century reader of the Gospel of Matthew have made of those gifts? Uh, that's a great question, Justin, and thank you for asking it that way. As you know, as well as I do, that uh, the gifts are often given symbolic or allegorical meanings. And um, I, I don't want to deny that as a possibility. But uh, the funny thing is that the meanings are not the same. So if you read throughout the centuries, mm. in one century, Christians think they're this, and another one, they think they're that, yeah, and so yeah. forth. But I think if we take them together, it says two things about uh, the Magi and their approaching uh, Jesus. First of all, these are really expensive gifts, right? Mm. And in fact, they are the kinds of gifts that you would give to a king, to someone of great importance. And that's what they call him, the king of the Jews mm. who has been born, right? Maybe uh, another way, and not the only way, but another way to think about it is that it actually invites us to ask this question. So, these are regular king gifts, if I can say it that way. Mm. But just Jesus isn't exactly a regular king, <laughs> right? And so I think uh, because, of course, we're on this side of Good Friday and Easter, you know, it allows us to see, oh, so there are two kings in this story. There's King Herod, who's kind of a regular king, if I can say it that way, powerful, bloodthirsty, yes. Mm. But he's kind of a kind of a regular king. But then there's King Jesus, who's a helpless child, who looks like he can be snuffed out at any moment. Hmm. And yet, because he's God's chosen one, he's the kingly Christ, uh, nothing's going to stop the plan, right? So, so again, the Magi, If I, I like to say the Magi, along with Joseph, are the good guys in this story, right? <laughs> and, and Herod and the scribes are kind of in the dark and working on behalf of the dark. But, uh, but it does invite us to, to pause, I think, and say, well, yes, Jesus is the king. And maybe we would say the day will come when our king is nothing but glory and power and honor, right? But in the meantime, he comes quietly, humbly, sacrificially, hmm. moves to a cross only later to rise and be seated at God's right hand. So it I think there's a kind of a contrast in there that can be a good reminder that this is no ordinary king. Hmm. Hmm. So what did Joseph do with those gifts? <laughs> well, there was a Nazareth Carpenters credit union, I think. <laughs> well, good. Uh, you know, you know I, I was thinking, I'm pretty sure that uh, as I was enjoying your de the devotion that you were reading, I think uh, Luther actually suggested that he did use the gold to finance the trip to Egypt. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. And, uh, but but we don't actually know how much, you know, I mean, we, like Renee and I have an advent calendar and there's a, you flip over the pages and there's a gold, there's a thing of gold that looks like it's about a foot by a foot by six inches. Yeah. But, you know, how much gold did they bring? See, it, it could have been just a little bag, right? Uh, how much we, we think in terms of large amounts, and of course, Matthew doesn't say that. We don't know enough about the Magi. Uh, we don't even know exactly where they were from. Hmm. So maybe they just bought a little bit of each, hmm. right? 
uh, I don't know, of course, not, nobody knows. Yeah. Uh, but as to what they did, what Joseph did with that, I don't know. Maybe he put it, I bet he, he did not put it in his checked luggage. I'll say it that way. <laughs> no, that's definitely a carry on. Definitely carry that's on. That's a carry on. But see, it can't be too heavy if it's a carry on. Well, that's so. right. That's right. Well, you're, you're bringing it from somewhere a uh, great distance. So maybe it wasn't all that, that much. I, I don't, we, yeah. we don't know, do we? We don't know. No, we, we actually don't know. Yeah, that's right. Well, hey, t- tell me more about the star. Speaking of things we don't know, uh, the star kind of acts peculiarly. And, and this year we had the special uh, kind of, uh, I don't know, ruckus almost about the, the aligning of the planets around the, the epiphany star and the, you know, once every 800 years and, and all that. So what, right. what, what are we supposed to make of, of this? Uh, is it astronomy? Is it astrology? What's going on with the star in the text? It moves right. around. It stops over the house. Tell me, Jeff, what's going on? Yeah, yeah. I, I think we can say uh, one thing for certain about the star uh, and another thing that is a possibility, an interesting possibility that goes way back in terms of Christians reading this story. Uh, the first thing is that it's a miracle. I, I think we should not mm-hmm. regard this as, you know, the planets aligning uh, like Jupiter and Saturn did this year or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it behaves, uh, it, it appears, apparently it wasn't there anymore. And that's why they had to go to Jerusalem and say, where are we supposed to be? Yeah, right. I lost the star. It was, yeah, it was exactly. right there a minute ago. And, and, and you're, a, you're a scholar and, and you heard me translate the star, which they had seen in its rising, began to go ahead of them. See? Yeah. And so the, I think the most natural reading of the, star, of the story is that he saw the star Somehow, maybe some Jewish scholars in Babylon or wherever they were from helped them. They went to Jerusalem. It was only after they had inquired and were on the way to Bethlehem, which is only about six miles away, that the star reappears. And then not only does it reappear, but it guides them and points them to a specific house. Hmm. So, So I don't think we should regard this as a naturally occurring phenomenon, although I realize that's a misleading statement. All of God's marvels are marvels, right? Right, right. So I think it's a miracle. And this is how the the ancient church read it. I think that's the natural way to read it today. The other interesting possibility is that uh, not a few early Christians, scholars and writers, thought the star was actually an angel. Hmm. That it was the appearance of an angel in the sky that pointed the Magi first in the direction of uh, Israel, and then once they got there, to specifically guide them. Now, again, that's kind of a guess. The text says star, not angel. Mm-hmm. But, but all of the well-meaning, uh, and I think a lot of it is well-meaning speculation about the star of Bethlehem and the planets and all that stuff, uh, that only comes up after Galileo does his thing. Mm. See, uh, people didn't regard it as a naturally occurring phenomenon. Um, just as the Magi's learning... You'll notice I am assiduously avoiding calling them wise men. Mm-hmm. The, the Magi's learning is probably not learning in what we would call good things. Hmm. You know, Magi in the ancient world are sorcerers. You know, they're they're the evil guys in Daniel two. Uh, hmm. So, so the surprise of the text is what Magi are there? Yeah, I mean, God must be willing to reveal his truth and call people to faith, the weirdest people. Hmm. Oh, 
Oh yeah, that's right, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. 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 Well, that is striking when you put it that way. The text has Herod, the king in Jerusalem, who should by rights be a good guy. I mean, if you're the king in Jerusalem, doggone it, you should be a good guy. And then you've got the priests and the scribes of the people who really, I mean, come on, they should be good guys. You just said they were the bad guys in the story and the agents of of darkness. Now you've got these these mysterious magi, these foreigners. we think of them as three because there's three gifts. The text doesn't right. say there are three of them. It right. certainly, I, I've, I once heard it put perhaps in your class. I actually don't know if, if it was you that said this, but I have heard it said the only thing wrong with we three Kings of Orient are is there weren't three of them. They weren't Kings and they weren't from the Orient. Yeah, right. Other than that, it's right. fine. So, so we think of these as wise men. One of my favorite bumper stickers to hate is wise men still seek him uh, in part because it assumes that they were wise. And then the other part of it is it's still, uh, well, it puts it on us to seek Jesus. I think the beauty of this passage is God shows up even to ignorant outsiders who can't find their way from Jerusalem to Bethlehem and went to Herod of all people for directions. That would be an awesome bumper sticker. Ignorant outsiders still seek him. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. We'll see what we can do about that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. God still reveals bumper. Himself to inside uh, ignorant outsiders. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah and, and those things, you know, some of them might be true, uh, but they they do tend to cover over, you know, this glorious truth that occurs, of course, not only in Matthew but throughout the Bible. Is that God, well, to sound like St. Paul for a second, he chooses the weak things of the world Mm, mm. in order to shame the strong. Mm. He chooses the, you know, the shameful things in order to shame the proud. Mm. Uh, God has no business in endorsing human arrogance. He has no desire to do that. And so time after time, he picks people like me and you. Mm really in every believer who's ever been picked, I'm not a Christian because I'm so smart or I'm so good looking or because I'm above average. <laughs> yeah. So these, uh, these the Magi were not from Lake Wobegon. Uh, they were not from Lake Wobegon. Yeah, That's yeah. Right. But what, why, why would you say that these are, are Gentiles probably? Well, uh, that's the natural reading of what the term uh, one magi is, a magos, right? Okay. Uh, That's who these people were. And and, uh, a minute ago, I like the way you said it. How would an ancient reader have heard this? Mm -hmm. You know, that's part of our goal as Bible readers today is to try to put ourselves as accurately as we can, uh, hearing the original message, so to speak, of these these important uh, passages. And Amagos, uh, the Majoi, uh, they work for foreign kings. And again, they tend to be bad guys. Mm-hmm. Again, some of the early Christian readers of this unit explicitly declare that the only reason the Magi are willing to come and worship Jesus is they have repudiated their status and learning as Magi. Huh. Right? Uh, again, the only two places that this Greek term occurs in the Septuagint, and the Greek translation of the Old Testament is in Daniel 2. And the, the Magi are among the group of, um, I think it's Nebuchadnezzar's wise men who can't interpret his dream. Mm. See? There's, and it's translated sorcerers. I mean, in that context, these people are learned in black magic. Yeah. What we would call the occult. Right? Yeah. 
The only other one is in in the book of Acts. I think it's on the island of Cyprus, where Elymas, who is a he's one of the Magi, and he he tries to oppose Paul, and Paul calls him a son of the devil. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And he blinds him, you know. So so these uh, we we just have to somehow again the best way best way to do this is to stop calling them wise men Mm. and call them Magi, and then you say, well, what is who are the Magi in the ancient world? And the answer is they serve foreign rulers and they often worship demons. <laughs> that, that doesn't sound like, you know, it's, well, it's not exactly a one-two you. punch, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What are they doing there? Yeah. And the answer is God likes to hide things from the wise and reveal them to babies. Yeah. And that's the message. So. And yeah. I guess that that then invites us to think. How does that invite us to think of ourselves, uh, not as wise, uh, but as <laughs> right. ones ones who are dependent and and needy, and who need an angel, and who need a word, and a word made more certain. Uh, people yep. who need direction, people who are maybe even, uh, I don't know how far you want to push it, but under threat, perhaps even. Uh, yes. You yes. you you perhaps shouldn't. Uh, be surprised if your life doesn't seem like it's going according to your plan. And, and maybe that's a good thing. Uh, right. I, I have to imagine Joseph did not think Egypt was on his, his like in, in, in the year four, his resolution was not to go to Egypt. That was not what he was planning. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think you're exactly right. And, and even that is a kind of a, uh, I'm, I'm never quite sure what irony is, but <laughs> It might be ironic because in general, Egypt is a bad place, right? That's where that's where Israel long before this was in slavery, you know. Yeah. Uh, but but it's the place of safety when Israel, the promised land, has become a place of danger. Yeah, right? the, so whole, the whole world's turned on its head. That's exactly right. And again, that invites us. Uh, I mean, Luther's small catechism is is right. I'm I actually do believe that I can't, by my own reason or strength, believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord, or come to him. I can't do it. And it doesn't matter how you were raised. It doesn't matter how smart you are. It doesn't matter how wealthy you are. None of that matters. Uh, What matters is that God graciously says, I want you. You are mine. Come and believe in me. Hmm. And then the mystery is that that actually worked. And it's working today. So, uh, so maybe even if you've been <laughs> practicing dark magic on behalf of foreign kings, you, you're even then not yet outside of the grace of God. That's right. He, he, God desires all men to be saved and to yeah. come to the knowledge of the truth. And, and it's, it's a beautiful thing because a community of people like that is a community where arrogance has a harder, it's harder for arrogance to grow and pride to grow mm-hmm. when we all kind of realize that we're basically all the same. I mean, we have different gifts, obviously, and different roles and different parts to play in Christ's church and Christ's body. But, but if we're all that way before God, then it, it helps us to treat one another as kind of fellow miracles, right? Mm-hmm. So every believer is a miracle, just like I am. You know? Well, then that maybe gets me back to the the hymn as well, the the third verse, which is for me what makes it an epiphany hymn. Uh, so bring him incense, gold, and myrrh. Come, peasant king, to own him. 
Uh, so it doesn't kind of your, your station, your vocation, your calling in life, uh, your background, your history, the failures that have defined your life, how far you had to come uh, or how crazy 2020 was for you or 2021 will be. There's a place where we're all kind of on the same level and that's, that's on your knees and in front of the manger. Now, of course, in Matthew, it's not the manger. This is a house we're imagining a couple years later. Is that right? Yeah, it's a it's a very difficult task to meld together Luke chapter 2 and Matthew chapter 2. But yeah. I, I think that at least is maybe one of the better guesses that it's been quite some time now because, as you said, Matthew says that the star guided uh, the Magi to the house where the child was. Um, and so at the very least, it's some time after Jesus has been born. And that's what Matthew says. He says, now after Jesus had been born. Hmm. And, um, so we, it's hard to work out the precise sequence, but it can be done. But, but we, <laughs> if, if you want to, Justin, if you want to keep your Magi in your manger scene, that's fine. Right. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. That's good. But, well, but there's, <laughs> there's a reason why the church has epiphany, right? <laughs> yeah. So. We, you know, we always put our, our wise men, our magi, magi related to the English word magic. So that makes actually a lot more yes, sense. Yes, uh, yes. We kept our magi like on the mantle and then they get closer and closer. As it, and then by yes, epiphany, they sure. show up under the tree with the rest of the, the crush. But that, know, that's right. That's why uh, all, all mantles should... Uh, line up east-west, right? <laughs> that way you can put the Magi as far east as they can be, and then you kind of walk them <laughs> gradually through the Christmas season. Oh, that's yeah, we, right. That's we, right. We, we might be adding burden to people at this point instead of giving them <laughs> grace. Okay. Uh, I, you see I, it conflated in images and in books and in hymns even all, all the time. And you, I, I mean, know. I kind of get it. You're, you're bringing Luke and Matthew together in a way that perhaps they, they weren't intended to, but you get all the key uh-huh. players. And I, I'm I'm grateful that uh, the Magi, even if they're depicted as wise men, are a part of that Christmas celebration because of everything we've talked about today. Yeah, and the the teaching involved there is is that beautiful. It, it makes it's yet one more way of showing that Jesus is the Savior for all people, right? Mm. Uh, not just a certain kind of person. Um, everyone I ever meet is someone for whom He came. Uh, to die and rise from the dead, and um, and that too makes a difference in how we treat even non-Christians, right? Yeah, even people that I gasp disagree with. Mm. Uh, that this is someone for whom the child was in the house when the Magi showed up, mm. and if he showed up for them, he showed up for everybody. Matt, you know we we often talk of Matthew being a, a very Jewish gospel, very Old Testament driven, and and perhaps written primarily for for Jewish believers in mind. But this is you know Matthew chapter two. These are magi from the east coming to worship. So mm-hmm. already here you've got uh, this this universal scope of of this child in view. Right, right. And uh, Matthew takes takes a while to develop that. In fact, it only kind of springs forth kind of obviously at the very end, but mm-hmm. along, you're quite right. All along the way, you get hints. And that just means that God's plan was working its way out. And then in the fullness of time, right? It opens up in a very dramatic way. The early Christians had a, the early Jewish Christians had a hard time with this, right? Mm, right. We know that from the book of Acts. Um, and we do too. I mean, we can yes. say that Christ yes. is for everybody, but aren't there people about whom I think, really? Yeah. 
you know, that he's really for that person? And the answer is, well, yes, he really is. So. Well, and then I wonder if that wouldn't have been a, a response to a first century reader of the Gospel of Matthew. Magi from that, wait now, read that again? What was that again? Right. Really? Right. <laughs> what? Right. Right. As you know, Matthew likes this little word behold, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so there are two beholds in this text. Yeah. Behold Magi and behold a star, right? Yeah. So these are, these are two unexpected developments, if I could say it that way. So. And, and, and these these are not kind of half-hearted. The great joy. This is big joy. This is mega joy. Yeah, right. Uh, right. Yeah. Exceeding the, big joy. Yeah, exceeding right. big joy. Yeah. Hey, it's not your run-of-the-mill joy. It's not your run-of-the-mill, typical run-of-the-mill joy. This is the big stuff. Yeah. Big yeah, leaks. that's right. Yeah. Uh, Jeff, I, I love reading the Bible with you. I love talking scripture with you. Thanks, thanks for joining us today. Hey, before we go, we've talked about kind of all kinds of stuff in this in Matthew chapter 2 reading. Is there anything that jumps out as you as something you would want to kind of take with you into your week or into 2021 as you take a next step following Jesus? Yeah, uh, I think you probably know me well enough, Justin, that this won't surprise you, but I love to, I, I shouldn't say this, I don't love to, but it's so good for me to uh, remember just how small I am mm. in the great plan, you know, and uh, that does a number of really beautiful things for me. But one thing it does is it allows me to rest hmm. in Jesus more fully uh, because I'm not in, I'm not in charge. Right. Uh, I don't know how it's going to work, but I'm not supposed to be, I have my responsibilities and so forth. That's true. But, uh, but the fact that God is, is in control and God's plan is working its way. And I'm just one little unexpected believer in that great plan. And that's uh, that's really helpful for me. And that's what I was thinking of as we were talking. Thanks. That's a, a great gospel promise to hold on to as we walk into 2021. Hmm. Amen. Thanks, Jeff. Say hi to Renee for me. Okay. And also to Miriam, Justin. Yep. Thanks. God bless. Yep. Yep. You too. Bye. That was Matthew scholar Jeff Gibbs joining us on the Next Step podcast to talk Epiphany and Magi and stars in the East as we get ready to celebrate Epiphany on January 6th. Well, this and every one of our Next Step podcasts is made possible in part by the generous support of Next Step patrons. I'd like to especially welcome Kay and Sam and Brooke to our Next Step patron family. Thank you for your trust and your encouragement and your support as we seek to help people delight in taking a small next step following Jesus. If this New Year time was a good time for you to consider a regular monthly support, I'll put a link to Next Step Press's Patreon page in the description of this podcast. Well, whatever your New Year looks like, whatever resolutions you've already made or already broken, know that God still reveals Jesus to ignorant outsiders. May that truth walk with you in the New Year. Thanks for joining us today, and we'll see you next time at Next Step Press.